Gamers, it's time for another After Dark episode of the Good Anime Palette Podcast. Uh, this is one of your co-hosts, Will. I've also got my other co-host here, Jason. How are you doing, Eddie? Yo, what's up? So, um, you know, we've been trying to get more of these ADs out, these After Dark episodes out. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good formula uh, going on in terms of um, releasing them uh, every so often. I think mean, it's a little bit different from how we do our regular episodes. So it's always fun to you know do deep dives, character analyses, or uh, just things that are a little bit different um, from the discussion topics from our regular episodes. And spoiler talks, too. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do After Darks is because it's really difficult to put it in a numbered episode. But in an After Dark, you know, free reign. Yeah, especially when we do our regular episodes, we want to be able to introduce, uh, if not highlight, some of the uh, shows that we've been watching, or even some of the, the hidden gems of uh, studios and directors that uh, you may know of, uh, but haven't really checked out particular uh, series. Where this gives us the platform to really dive deep into certain shows, and you know, with free reign, we don't have to be hamstrung by not revealing everything. We can you know discuss certain tropes, certain topics, certain characters, uh, and certain endings as well so what are we discussing today will so this one uh, this one's gonna be a good one um as you guys may have really known or, or just you know have not stopped hearing me talk about it uh one of my most favorite anime series of all time is Tatami galaxy now Tatami galaxy was done uh a couple years ago um by one of uh well one of my favorite directors of all time he is none other than masaki yuasa so Masaki Yuasa, he's he's got a very very interesting and stellar and very well respected career, but it hasn't always been easy for him. And so you know we wanted to spend you know the next hour or two, hopefully more an hour than two, uh, to go over you know you know his his upbringing, the sort of work that he's been doing, where he really got a start, major breakthroughs, and, and generally how we feel about the properties um, that he's produced. And, you know, we've watched a fair amount, if not like 75% of the, of the major works he's done, where he's like, been in key roles rather than you know in support roles. And we will tell you our not only our thoughts on these various works that uh, director Yuasa has done, but also where you can watch them. Because unfortunately, not everything is readily available. So even we couldn't watch some of their his work. Yeah, so we're going to go through, you know, I guess in some order in terms of, you know, who Yuasa is, you know, how he got to start, you know, the sort of trials and tribulations he experienced at the beginning of his career, when he was able to finally get, like, you know, a good, a good foothold in the industry. And one part that I'm pretty interested to get into as well is doing our own critical analysis of the works he's done because a lot of the stuff he does is very different from the standard anime production. Of course, you know, it's like every every director, every creator should have their own flair, their own touch, and their own taste. But I think none more apparent than in Yuasa's work do you see a, a, a stark contrast to the typical anime, the typical series that people tend to produce on TV. So um, just to give you a quick rundown of Masaki Yuasa... He is 56 of age this year. He, he is born on March 16th, 1965. We're not going to go into the whole Japanese thing of blood types because I don't even know what his blood type is. But We're going to ask him ourselves when we, when we finally get to meet him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So his hometown is Fukuoka in Japan. Now, this is part of the Kyushu, uh, um, Kyushu region, which is the southern part of Japan. I've personally, always, personally, my favorite part of Japan. I've always had very fond 
memories of Fukuoka just being very pleasant, very chilled, laid back town. It's 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 one of the places where like you can actually see families. You can actually see young children with their parents playing in the park. You have like, young couples going around and you know enjoying times out of coffee shops. It's a very laid back city within Japan. Like you, you if you think about Japan, it's neon lights, hustle bustle, loud noises, you know, lots of like, you know, colors and food and smells and everything. Fukuoka is pretty much one of those places where it's a very it's an it's an urban suburbia. I really like Fukuoka. It's it's my favorite place to go. I go there well, you know, pre COVID times I would go there once, maybe even twice a year. Just, you know, the food's great. People are extremely friendly. Uh, and there's also a lot of creative types down there, too. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of art, a lot of museums. Um, but the parks are gorgeous. Um, and so, you know, maybe this was also sort of one of the like the many influences of uh, Yuasa and, you know, how he sort of started gearing his artistic vision, his artistic style. So who exactly is... Masaki Yuasa. So he is a Japanese director, screenwriter, and animator in in one sentence. We wouldn't focus too much on him as an animator, but we will focus a lot on him as a director and screenwriter. But we will also touch on his uh, animation career as an animator as well. He graduated from Kyushu Sangyo University with a degree in fine arts and a focus on oil painting, yeah. which is like kind of crazy in the sense that having that kind of background is kind of different than your usual suspects who would have an interest in anime and manga and of that sort i think that and that inadvertently kind of bleeds into you know the styles of his works right like you could and not to say that because he did oil painting that therefore that's why he has this specific art style in the stuff he produces and animates but you could see, like, from the beginning, you know, early on in his life, he already had, like, a thirst for, like, trying to craft his artistic vision, craft his skills within the arts. Um, it's, you know, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise that for him, you know, coming out from a fine arts degree in oil painting. And going through sort of interviews and his sort of uh, background on his upbringing, he has said that he was initially drawn to uh, TV anime. Uh, through a series called Mazinger Z. Have you heard of it? Yep, I did. I did. Um, I actually played a lot of um, old school PS1 games, which were those sort of like turn-based RPG strategy kind of games. Is it like a mecha kind of thing? Yes, Mazinger Z is a mecha. Oh, okay, I see. But the other one that he is heavily uh, uh, drawn to in his youth was Space Battleship Yamato, which is I, I think classic. It's, it's a classic. Classic space opera. I mean... The I mean, there was live you, you, action. You remember when we watched um, uh, Shirabako? Like one of the episodes, they actually bring mention of this specific series. So, like more often than not, even to this day, you will find anime series, you will find manga, you will find creators, even live who, action who movies. Pay homage to it, yeah. Yeah. So, it is important to note that, of course, one of his landmarks critical influences is Lupin 3 by Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki. And Miyazaki is obviously the, like, what would you say? It's it. Everyone knows him. There's nothing Studio Ghibli, Miyazaki, end of story. He's basically like, it's, it's the Walt Disney 
of the anime world. Like you, 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 you don't really talk about anime without mentioning at least one or two of Ghibli and Miyazaki's works. But if we go about his foreign influences, he says that he also studied international animation with particular influences like Tex Avery, the British film Yellow Submarine, The King and the Mockingbird, and um, a French filmmaker by Paul Grimault? Grimault? Grimault, Grimault. We're not French. Yeah, we don't know. Um, And The Fox and the Hound in 1981. Unfortunately, a lot of these I have... Other than the Yellow Submarine, I have not heard of much of these. Wait, you haven't watched Fox and the Hound? N- no. Ooh, okay. I'm not saying you have to go watch it, but yeah, it's, a, it's a classic. Like Very, it's good? Oh, it's good, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm and, not going to see many more. I don't want to spoil and it. And obviously because uh, Yuasa has uh, a degree in arts and oil painting, he also is influenced by the art of Salvador Dali. Yeah, like if you haven't seen any of Dali's works, they're, um, they're surreal as fuck. Melted clock. Yeah, it's it's good work. It's it, it, you can see that you know there's influence from Dali's work that bleeds into the productions that uh, Yuasa leads in his current works as well. So the art's everywhere, and I think he for him like he respects the predecessors. He respects the the, the influences that have you know, impacted on his career. So he, all around like, respectful, respecting. It's a good guy. So, Will, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but do you want to sort of go into his uh, life as an animator and then his relationship as a director and with other various members of the anime industry? Or do you want to just go in the like his directorial themes and sensibilities right away? Or how do you want to do this? I think one thing I... I... <laughs> As much as it's like, oh, you want to give like the backstory of of Yuasa, you know, where he came from, who he worked with, you know, those things are cool. But personally, for me, like the the one thing, the one thing that will always draw me to Yuasa's works is his style, his vision, his his way of trying to create a story on screen, but at the same time having like the free reign of expression and creativity, so that he's not bogged down by anyone else's expectations outside of his own. You know, it's no, it's it's you know, no secret that whenever he works on anything, more often than not, he's going to have regular contributors to his works, whether it's the same assistant directors, the same cinematographers, the same animators. Uh, I actually have a look and see in terms of how many voice actors he's worked with, and it seems that for the most part, all the shows, all the movies he's done, he does have different uh, voice actors and actresses. Um, I think that's one of the things where like it might be a little bit different, but it, it's. I guess I could see why he would do that too, because in the end, it's it's all about individualism for himself, right? In this, in in his uh, sense of creativity, he wants to be able to create new things moving forward. So you know, just to, we'll we'll go more focus about these two specific properties. But Atomic Galaxy, as well as Night is Short, uh, is. Two of his, you know, I personally like my favorite properties. Um, one of which is deemed like a spiritual successor, which is the Night is Short, um, to Tatami Galaxy. Now there are several characters that either share the same model designs or are essentially the same character, but he'll have different voice actors and actresses um, doing the work um, for those recordings. So it's nice that. Even if there is continuity within the properties he does, he still tries to find like a fresh take. He still tries to find new ways to repackage a certain story, a certain character, a certain plot line. And I think that Yuasa's 
style or philosophy on life is rather unique for a Japanese、uh, animator or just a Japanese, you know, person in general. For example, he really believes in work, work hard, and then balance of rest. I think. One of the things、uh, that he has said very adamantly about the anime industry is that he wants to move away from a culture of excessive working and long hours, which is emblematic of the whole industry and even just all of Asia. I would argue as well. And people would be like, "Well, isn't that just normal? Like, wouldn't anybody want to have shorter work hours, be be able to, you know, like just." Do what you do. What you need to do during the day, and then just enjoy the rest of your time off. It's like you would think that it's, it's just that straightforward, but、yeah. that's not the culture there. And also the culture. Even I think we both can speak for it in Hong Kong, and also having experiences in the Western world, that it really is different. Here, you're expected to in Hong Kong at least you're expected to. Work really hard. I've had like firsthand experience, not myself, but like from friends who have worked in Japan.、Um, whether it is like you know like a corporate job, working as this English teacher through the Jet program.、Uh, I thought about be, that, by the way. I actually thought about doing the Jet program as well, but then I ended up ended up getting an English teacher job here in Hong Kong, so I just had to stick around.、Um, but what he said was that even if he had. Done all the coursework he needed. He did all the markings. He was,、uh, he had all the 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 lesson plans ready for the next upcoming week, even maybe even month.、Uh, and he decided, you know, I'm gonna, you know, leave early. I'm gonna finish up my job, and then I'm gonna go off.、Uh, you know, it's time to clock out. Why not leave now? He found that it wasn't like he was disrespecting the 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 school, the company, but it was like, well. Why aren't you sticking around doing more work then? Why aren't you? Just, why are you leaving so early? It's like always that mentality of you know first to arrive, last to leave. I mean that you can say the same thing about some companies where the CEO, if he doesn't leave, no one leaves the office. Yeah, but he also did mention too that there was there's one time where he was just like just chilling after after hours. It was like what, like seven eight p.m. at night.、Um, he was he was waiting for like the last train to to get home. So he was like, "Well, why do I need to leave the school now?、I'll、just stick around and、uh, wait till the train comes." And then、like, one of the supervisors saw him like in the room, like in the classroom on his phone. He's like, "Oh, you're still around here? Oh, hey, good work, good work. You're doing really really well." It's like, "What do you mean good work? I'm literally playing like." I'm 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 playing a game on my phone. I'm not really doing anything. But that's just general perception of what it means to you know put in the hours, right? Literally putting in the hours, but not necessarily you know, doing any work. So Masaki's vision of trying to break that mold and go go towards more like a merit based kind of environment where if you do the work and you are actually able to get everything done earlier ahead of time, then like. Why not take the time off? Like, and even then, it's like you should still be able to have your weekends. You should be able to have you know decent hours after work to spend with, on your own, to spend with your family and friends. And he has adopted that philosophy, work philosophy, with the studio that he founded, which is Science Saru, which we'll get into later. He also said that in order for the Japanese animation to achieve true global success. The industry must itself create a better work environment for its artists and creators, and I just cannot agree more because just through our numbered episodes in our news section, you've heard of so many mangakas that are on hiatus or on sick leave, 
and they have no free time or animators don't get paid enough and they have to work long hours and they like they just burn out so it's fresh to see right i mean like of course he's probably not the only one but he's probably also one of the few that would actually come out and like publicly state look there's something fundamentally wrong with the current state of the animation studios or even just work culture in general I don't want to advocate that. I want people who work with me and work alongside me to also enjoy the fruits of life. To be able to, you know, do, put in the work, clock off, spend time with your family, have dinner, get to bed at a reasonable hour. And he is like not one of those like you know work overtime and like start giving stuff in at three in the morning so you can go to sleep and wake up three hours later to go back into the office. Dude, that was me one day. Yeah, I've done that before as well. So. It is important to note that even though these opinions are not necessarily nuanced, Yuasa has a clout. Yuasa has the reputation now such that when he says stuff like this, people will listen. Such that when he has created his own studio and put money where his mouth is and actually adopt this work philosophy, everyone takes notice. So I think that that deserves uh, credit and also highlight. Yeah, and I think that then, like, bodes well with him giving his creators, his animators, anybody that works along with him, giving them free reign to sort of express themselves and do the things they want to do in order for them to kind of fulfill their vision of how a specific art or a specific series should look and should feel, right? I think for him, it's like one thing that you and I notice immediately whenever we see any work that is a Masaki Yuasa work it's sensory overload. The color palette, the energy. The sound uh, design as well. And even the hopeful message, which is rather rare nowadays. I think for him as well, it's like the fact that he cranks the sound and the sight of his yeah of his shows to like 11. It almost feels, it's almost palpable. You can almost feel the color. You can almost like, like see and smell everything that is on screen. Like it's really trying to reach you on all different levels and not just from the fact that you're looking at his work, not only just the fact that you're listening to his work. So being able to fully encapsulate someone's attention from all five senses is just something that he, he feels like, yo, this is, this is it. This is, this is the way that I want people to enjoy my art because that's how I enjoy my art. So Yuasa didn't start off as a director screenwriter, but started off as an animator after graduating from university. He started in a studio called Agiado, and he's hired as an in-between animator. Now, in-between animators, if you've listened to our episode 9 uh, numbered episode of the Good Anime Pal podcast, you would know that in-between animations have a reputation for being very grunt work because essentially you have key animators or key frames where it is the major plot points of a scene and then all you do with in-between animations is bridge the two. So you're essentially drawing almost exactly the same drawing but a little bit different, a little bit different, a little bit different, a little bit different such that the first keyframe and the second keyframe is one fluid animation. You hear constantly like, oh, 30 frames per second, 30, 60 frames per second. Now, okay, 60 frames per second is usually for uh, visual or for video games, 
but 30 frames per second is usually the amount of frames you need for one second of animation. So he was an in-between animator, and from where from what he says, it was grueling work. It was just not, you know, creative. It just wasn't creative. It's was just well, it's in the in a way is it's just the glue to the, the the animator, right? Like you're literally trying to paste one scene to another scene, but it's not like you're going to get massive credit for it. There's almost no creative input whatsoever. So, what do you have to really flex your artistic brain other than to sort of maybe negotiate a different color palette or maybe a different range of movement from one to another? But outside of that. There's really not much else go, that goes into in-between animation. And as you might expect with someone who is very creative-focused, in-between animator, he is not... Yuasa is just, was, lack of a better term, pretty terrible at it because he wasn't able to flex his muscles. He was... It was just... He even said, like, oh, my drawing style is fast, intuitive, and rough, and that is not what you want for in-between. You want consistency you want robotic refined exactly you want it to look good it doesn't have to look amazing it just needs to look good so then one his first major i guess important person in his career is the co-founder of ajiado which was osamu kobayashi and he actually saw yuasa's work and says Hey, maybe you shouldn't do in-between animation. How about you try key animation? And then Yuasa's like, okay, I'll I'll try. And then that literally started his animation career. And he became very well known for key animation. And he just did a whole bunch of TV series, anime TV series that we actually couldn't get our hands on, but Needless to say, it makes perfect sense that he is a key animator person rather than an in-between animator person, wouldn't you say? Well, like you, you don't think of Yuasa as the guy that follows orders and is told to just regurgitate scene after scene after scene. It's like, yo, like I don't care if it looks good. I just need it to work. That's it. Okay, you do your work, but you need to do it like a thousand times over so that we can make sure this one minute of anime looks good. I, you say that to Yuasa, and like his creative brain would just snap. It's like I, this is what I'm signing up to. It's like, but I mean, like he was young, hungry, right? He wanted to work in the anime industry. Of course, he was going to be taking up work that he doesn't necessarily enjoy, but he's still able to do. But that doesn't necessarily flex his creative muscle. And then, luckily, he found someone who you know bought into his vision and gave him you know the opportunity to to try something different. And that took place in 2004 with a movie, anime movie called Mind Game. Should we go into Mind Game the analysis or do you want to just talk about like his his, his uh, career path first and uh, no, then we'll no. talk about okay. Mind Game? Uh, I'll, I'll let you take the reins on this one because we were going off to directing so then I thought... No, I don't want to go into the actual mind game just yet. We're going to leave that to later. We can, okay. We, we can talk about, like, we, we'll go over the, the rest of his catalog, the other influences he had. Um, okay. But yeah, like, mind game is, I, I guess, from a personal creative level, was a major breakthrough for him. But yes. financially, we'll leave in terms of later in the episode what it actually meant for his career and for the industry. 
But needless to say, Mind Game was his first uh, attempt at being a director. I would say after leaving Agiado, the next most important person in his life is the co-founder of Madhouse, who later would uh, found MAPPA, is Maso Maruyama. At this point in Yuasa's career, he has already several works under his belt. And Maruyama was like, yo, why don't you come over to Madhouse? And uh, I can, uh, I believe in your vision. I believe in taking risks. I have the funds. I have the vision that I believe your work is great. Basically, he found someone to bankroll him, not only like and believe, financially, and believe but also in him. creativity as well. So it's giving him creative freedom and it's just willing to give him everything he wants. So uh, the co-founder of Madhouse, Maruyama, was extremely, extremely influential in Yuasa's career because he did three major works with Madhouse, Kimono Zume, Kaiba, and of course, Will's favorite, the Tatami Galaxy. And... He just went from a guy that was pretty well known to exploded into a guy that the name you would recognize anywhere. So then the other person that is very influential during this Madhouse collaboration period is Yoon Young Choi. Now, you heard it correctly. That is a South Korean woman. But she actually is pretty uh, influential in the anime industry at the time and collaborated with Yuasa all the time. Such that in, uh, what year was it, Will? In uh... 2005, right? She was working as a key animator for Gonzo Studios. But then after like, hearing about Yuasa and seeing some of the works, she decided, you know what? I want to submit my portfolio. I want him to take a look at some of the work I've done. And immediately things just clicked. And they started working together. So, like, she's had influence, um, you know, as a uh, as a key animator for Kimono Zume. She's also worked on Kaipa, uh, had a big part in Tatami Galaxy, and also worked on a few other uh, Madhouse um, productions as well, like Caster and Sins. Um, so she, in the beginning, already had like a pretty a pretty bright start in the industry. You know, then she you know started working more and more. She frequently collaborated with um, with with Yuasa. And then, the, I think the major, major, major breakthrough, and this also coincides with the development in Masaki Yuasa's life as well. Yeah. The beginning of Sansaru. So on February 4th, 2013, Yuasa and Unyong Choi founded Science Saru, which is the studio, uh, animation studio that gives you all of Yuasa's works, at least most of it, until quite recently. Yeah, this is, of course, like um, a passion project, but at the same time, something that would be a revenue generator, too. But, you know, very humble start, right? Just because you have creative vision and a lot of history behind you doesn't mean that it's going to carry into instant success. So it takes a while to build up. Like At the end of the first year of their existence, there were only five employees at Science Saru. Not a big team, but you think about the sort of work that they've done sort of, you know, the output they've had. Yeah, it might have taken time to produce stuff, but if they stuck to what Yuasa said and actually had time off, 
it probably wasn't as stressful an experience as if you were working at a large corporate animation studio with thousands of animators and go-in-betweens and uh, assistant producers and all that, and you're running on deadlines of producing like five or six shows every day, every week. I I, I would much rather work at a science Sario than other you know big name production studios. Not to not to slate them, but it's clear that work-life balance was very important for Yuasa, and hopefully that translated over to his staff as well. So from 2013 to 2020, Yuasa was the president and representative director of Science Saru. Uh, but in March 25th of 2020, he wanted to take a break from directing after seven years of continuous work, but still wants to work with Science Saru, which is the studio that he founded. So at that point, Unyong Choi became the current president and CEO of Science Saru, and I think his latest work, Inuo, is also produced by Science Saru. Yeah, I think in the end, like he's removed himself from an executive position within Science Saru, but he now works. He now classifies himself as an external consultant. So I mean, like this is his baby, right? He he, he produced it with his own hands, and he also had like a great team that supported him along the way. So even if he was to step down and take a break. Like you know, a small little like getaway from uh, from the animating um, industry. His he's always there. You knock on his door and he'll help you out. Like, that's just the kind of guy Yuasa is. So, one thing that I would like to highlight about Science Saru is actually the name of Science Saru. Oh, before that, anyway. Um, yep. So, um, Yun Choi is now the president, right? Yeah, she president now, and CEO. She now is the the leader at Science Saru. So, not only is she, you know, first of all, woman non-Japanese in an executive position in a tough industry. But I don't think that was ever like going to be a surprise because of the fact that she had been working with Yuasa for so long. Like she had been directing so many works like Kaiba, Ping Pong, uh, also with uh, Space Dandy. Again, these are all like specific episodes. But then moving forward... They even then, did Adventure Time. Yeah. One episode of Adventure Time, which I will get into because I watched it. Then she also worked as an animation producer and also just full-fledged producer for a lot of other movies. Right, like Glue Over the Wall, Night of Short, uh, Devilman Crybaby, Ride Your Wave, Keep Your Hands Off Isaacin, Japan Sinks. Like, Which, to be fair, yeah. is all of Yuasa's work. But still, it shows that not only is, is are they like loyal to one another, but she gets him clearly. She just knows that, like, okay, this is the guy I'm working with because I've worked with him for almost 20 years. Well, no, it's more like 10, 15 years. It this felt like 20. The, this is the vision that he wants. And this is the vision that I want. And it's going to work together because we've done it so many times. That there's like almost like no like no concern from whatsoever to just, you know, hand the keys over to Inyang and be like, it's yours now. I just feel that she is a producer, right, at, at certain points. And that is extremely important because a lot of people, whether it's live action or animated or anything, don't really focus a lot on producers, or the fame and clout of producers. They all care about the creative lead, the director, the actor, the script writer. Yeah, that's why like, one of, in one of the interviews that Eun Young had done um, shortly after taking the reins at Sansara was she, she felt that now, like, yes, she can still always go to Yuasa if she ever needs a director to work on one of the shows that Sansara is producing, but it also allows for her to explore the market, explore the industry, go and find, you know, an upcoming or just like an artistic developer, someone who wants to come in and just flex their creative brain. I, 
I bet you they have each other on speed dial and are just like best buds. Oh, they're BFFs for sure. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure like you know they're 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 godfathers and godmothers to each other's children. Yeah, I I can totally see that. Yeah, so that's that's the thing with like Yuasa. It's like he doesn't build like a team around him. He builds a family. Like, wow, yeah. Will. <laughs> no, but like you can you can see that in a lot of the shows that he produces, right? Like the whole idea of emotions, relationships, communication between characters, like none more salient than any of the stuff that he does, right? It's always like at the forefront. It's how communicating skills, like how, how, how characters communicate with each other, how they interact with each other, how they display their emotions on screen. Those are very very key themes. I- in his in his work and there's a lot of staff like behind the scenes like producers chief producers that have followed yuasa and just collaborated with him since the beginning so there it comes to show that he really does care about the relationships with it's, his it's, staff. It's, it's it's not like uh yuasa says jump they say how high it's more like yuasa says let's jump together oh that's the best that's really that's a good way you know, to put it. Actually, he's he's he's, he's like, ugh, I hate to fucking like sugar him up even more, but he's he's the kind of guy where like you won't die for him because he's willing to be in the front lines with you as well. It's his is his it's his artistic vision, and if everybody wants to share the same vision but also add their own flair, he will not stand in your way to do it. Okay, so can I go back to the name of Science Saru? Yeah, that's good. That's it. Okay. So, so it's Saru, actually. Saru means... Something. Monkey. Yeah, monkey. And science Saru literally means science monkey. And why is this the name of the studio? I am just going to read verbatim because I just think this is fantastic, which is Yuasa and Choi settled on the name, which translates to science monkey, in an attempt to combine both an international technological focus, the science part, with a Japanese traditional animation identity, the Saru part. And in an interview, uh, Choi elaborated further by saying, we thought of a lot of the possible names for the studio. Science is like logic, business, numbers, plans, technology, and new tools. On the other hand, Saru means monkey in Japanese. As animators, we put in creativity, intuition, art, enjoying moments and and being playful, a kind of monkeying around. We want to keep these personalities inside Saru. Thus, we wanted to create a balance of science it being in English, which highlights it being international, and Saru in Japanese maintaining traditional anime. And for a South Korean woman to be able to confidently say that is just encapsulates exactly what she says. That it doesn't matter what race, what gender, whatever you are. You want to do good work. You want to have work-life balance. You want to care about life. This is Science Saru. This is what we believe in. And it's awesome, really. It's fucking awesome. So, and they really put a lot of thought between uh, behind the name, the marriage of science and art, the marriage of international versus traditional right like and that is also reflective a lot in yuasa's work like you know the old and the new the haves and the have-nots and the conflict and more importantly the resolution between these two gaps i feel like 
is in almost all of Yuasa's works. There are so many of Yuasa's works that basically encapsulate all that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to like color contrasts, character contrasts, character developments, expression, creative sort of like ways of of showing emotions too, right? Or or even just showing the the condition, the, the human condition. It's 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 hard to look at a Yuasa work and not immediately shout, "That's Yuasa!" Oh yeah, this is totally Yuasa, hundred percent. Right? You just look at it like. It's either from character shading. It's either from animation style. It's either from the colors he uses as well. It's it's all done in a way that as soon as you look at it, boom, it's Masaki. You know it is. And of course, that it's like yeah, like Masaki from Madhouse, Masaki from Ajiado, Masaki from Science Saru or Solo. There's going to be differences, but no matter what, you can always look at a Masaki Yuasa work and pinpoint similarities. Not to say that they're all similar. It's almost like he's he's like paying homage to himself in the way that he wants to animate something, to showcase something. And that is why we chose Masaki Yuasa as the first person of interest that we want to cover for our After Dark. Because not only does he mean a lot for Will, but he means a lot for the anime industry in general. And I love a lot of his works. He's not necessarily my favorite. But if you say Yuasa, I will be like, yo, let's go. I don't even need to hear what's it about. Let's just let's just put it on. Let's just go. I will always and I I also really like the guy. Or at least what he says and what he believes in and he seems to be very honest and straightforward and open about his stances and doesn't give that much of a fuck about what what naysayers would say otherwise. He sounds like a really chill guy to hang out with. You know, there's always going to be ones where it's like, oh, I would totally go and have a drink with that guy. Or I would totally have dinner with that person. Or I would totally want to, you know, meet this person in real life. It's like one of those things where it's like, you know, like, be careful what you wish for, like, before you meet your heroes, that kind of thing. I feel like Yuasa isn't going to be like, like, what you see in interviews and what you see behind the camera is the same person as what you would see in real life. Like, I would totally want to, like, go down through, like, the Fukuoka parks in the middle and, like, grab, like, a beer and have and drink with him and afterwards go get ramen and then just go back to his studio and, like, watch some of his works. He just seems like that kind of guy which, like, you can literally chill out and also at the same time be impressed by his acumen, be impressed by his vision. But because it's, it's it, it, there's a difference between, like, being, like, like, really passionate about something but then also being a snob. And I don't think he ever goes to being a snob. He just really likes what he what he does, and he doesn't care if it works or not. So much so that the Japan's Agency for Cultural Affairs gave him the Cabinet Minister Award for Media Fine Arts in honor of his career achievements. So this he's a, is he's a national treasure. He's a national treasure, guys. Like we we have been, you know, kind of showering him with compliments. But even the Japanese government was like, yeah, dog, you're you're good. Like, come on. Do you know how much uh, do you even want? Do we even want to go about the the awards that he has won? I'll, I'll list it out right now. Oh, Jesus. OK, okay so, I'm just take a break. In terms of acclaim for both Japan as well as 
you know, globally, projects that he's worked on have been recognized by the Annecy International Animated Film Festivals with two wins out of three nominations. The Japanese Film Academy Film Press Association with one win. The Mainichi Film Awards, one, anima- one nomination, two wins. The Japan Media Arts Festival, four wins, two excellence awards, four jury selections. The Tokyo Anime Awards, four wins. The Crunchyroll Anime Awards, 16 nominations with four wins. The Ottawa International Animation Festival, one win, one nomination. Shanghai Film Festival, the Sitges Film Festival, the Fantasia International Film Festival, and the Annie Awards. We've already talked about him being, you know, awarded and recognized by the Cultural Affairs of Japan. I, that that's a fucking stellar CV. Like you get that CV, you just look at like how? Yeah, he's I, a I, god. I will, I will kiss his hand. You know, like I will, I will shake it and never wash my hands again afterwards. And it is amazing to me that this is who he is now, and in the future, I don't. I'm like, I'm gonna be like ecstatic to see what else he has produced. But did you know that before that? Like, imagine like winning these awards, winning this many awards, being recognized at like the highest level when it comes to cultural arts. Like, you're a national treasure in the story. But do you think it will ever get to his head? Like, do you think it will ever like, yeah, look at me, I'm that big shot that is like well recognized. Like, Yo. You know, uh, it would get to my head a little bit, right? But this guy doesn't seem like he cares all that much. I mean, I'm sure he he loves getting the awards, but like it's because the fact that for him it's like I didn't do it myself. I and, got my team to support me on this. And when he goes on his interviews and he sort of I listen to it and read the subtitles, you can really like he had self confidence issues. He was depressed. He was ill and wanted to give up, and obviously he didn't. He was worried about people not producing his work, which actually happened yeah, for the we'll longest get time. We're going to go into that. We will sure. get into that. So this guy put got put through the ringer. I mean, you look at his accolades and awards and acknowledgement now, but back then he was at one point down in the dumps, literally, and couldn't do anything and then just in a spiral of depression. But he was managed to pick himself back up. And you would think that his work would reflect his sort of grim, depressive, just unhappy with the world type thing. It's like whenever you have, like, for example, like music artists and they go through a bad breakup. Well, okay. And they have a, they have a breakthrough as a music artist. Their first album is usually about breakups. Right, I mean, like, if we talk about like Adele, we talk about like Taylor Swift, like talk about any... Taylor Swift just basically does that all the time for okay for money. I mean, I don't know if it's for money. But Sorry, she... Tay Tay, but I mean, you, you got to pick a better man sometime. <laughs> no, she won't because that's all she got. Boom. These are all the opinions of Jason. Uh, I this is not part of the, the Good Anime Palette podcast opinion. Please do not direct any. Uh, I don't know, flame like. But Tay Tay, you gotta make some better music. Anyways, so exactly that though, right? Like you would think that someone who has been through the ringer and is just like down in the dumps, if they ever got their chance, they would just kind of vent, right? They would want to just showcase, you know, what's wrong with the world and how it's like it's like their own like take on redemption. But no, like this guy is just okay, cool. I finally have my break. Let's do this. And it's even crazier because looking through his catalog and watching almost all of his stuff and collectively both of us watching almost all of his stuff. It is the most vibrant, upbeat, 
energetic, happy-go-lucky, like, we should all reach for the stars together kind of thing. Like, when we said earlier, uh, Will said, you know, jump, and then you say how high. is like, that's not Yuasa's style. Yuasa's style is like, let's jump together. Like, it's reflected in the tone of his works. I mean, that's not to say that they're all, like, happy-go-lucky. Oh, of course not. No, we, we're going to tell you some of them which are, like, absolutely fucking tragic. But, it, again, you, you can still see the influence. You can still see the art styles. You can still see the, the themes, uh, the ways that he tries to portray characters. It steadily improves, but it was always good to begin with. Um, and not to mention as well, like, w- when it comes to Yuasa works, I'm always down to just watch the opening. Very rare that I do, but like ping pong, right? Tatami Galaxy, I, I I watched all those openings, no problem. I mean, I watched Devil all Man Crybaby, Isaacin, Isaacin. Okay, before we even go into like the, the the series analysis, I think no, we'll go about that after the break. Yeah, but just one one little thing. Last year, this is on. I think it was either Crunchyroll or this was um, Anime Reddit or just somewhere on the internet. Um, people were casting votes for their top anime opening of the year number one was the opening for keep your hands off of Isaacin. we will go into we'll, we'll go into easy how, breezy right yeah by chemico it will we'll go into the how and the why afterwards but if you got time we're going to go on a quick break right now but go on youtube because it's i think it's on um it's, it's on one of the youtube channels uh, of, of one of the production companies like crunchy roll yeah crunchy roll probably has it um just watch the the opening the music is oh it's so catchy it's so good um but yeah we will get back to you in just a few minutes we're going to go over some of the works some of the influences they had in terms of how he how he portrays certain tropes and certain themes and then our own takes in terms of you know what we really think about his works um spoiler we're going to love most of them we're Spo- gonna spoiler. We're gonna love most of them, but most of them, not all of them, unfortunately. Yeah, every, everyone's gonna have one or two that kind of just you know, miss the target. But we'll catch you just after this break. Peace. This is the Good Anime Palette Podcast After Dark, number three, where we talk about Masaki Yuasa's career. I am your co-host, Jason, and I am joined by my co-host, Will, again, of course. Yo, my mind is racing right now. We're finally going to talk about the things we love about Masaki Yuasa. I, I think the coffee kicked in, too. Yeah, well, and, and also because we're going to be kickstarting you know, some of the works that he's done. You know, we talked about his biography, we talked about the studios he's worked with. No, no, we're not kickstarting anything. We're mind-starting? No, okay, I just don't want to get it mixed up with actually Kickstarter. Oh, okay. Well, if he did have a Kickstarter, which he did before, I wouldn't mind backing it. Yeah, oh, God. I should We should have. But I didn't know about it at the time. No. So, the first directorial debut for Masaki Yuasa was in 2004 called Mind Game. Now, it's based on a manga. 
but I can't find any official English translation, and it seems pretty old. I looked at some images on Google Image, and it just looks insane. And believe it or not, it is extremely indicative of the anime itself. It's an anime film, by the way. Yeah, this is essentially the making of Yuasa. Yeah, so we we actually watched. Well, okay, let's let's be real. We didn't watch the whole thing for Mind Game. Um, should we even try to talk about what Mind Game is? No. Oh no. Okay, this is what Mind Game is. It is about a guy, and going through trials and tribulations, kind of a time loop. Let's just say I don't think that's very spoilerish because you really can't spoil Mind Game. Really, we still don't really know what Mind Game is. Like, like, like I just told you, it's a time loop. But I know what that is. It's about a guy going through Charles Tribulus. I know what that is. But no, what, what does he do during these time loops? Like, I don't know. I mean, I watched the movie, but like, I still don't know what's happening. I half think the time. we watched half of the movie, and then literally, I said to you, Will. Is mind game basically a game? They're playing a game with our minds, and I, I know that's like a pun or like wordplay. It could be more real of a description than what mind game actually is. Like there's there's elements of Inception, there's elements of fucking Kill Bill, like the Kill Bill animated it, it, wait, stuff. Actually, have you ever watched the movie Enter the Void? Uh, maybe it's about a drug dealer in Japan. Who gets caught and then he gets uh, basically he, he he gets caught in the sting operation. He runs off. He's trying to get rid of his drugs, but then he gets shot to death. And then his body, his his soul leaves his body, and then he just floats around and sees all the people that are connected to him and what happens in his life. That that happens in that happens in Mind Game. There's also like a Pinocchio element. There's also like Inception element. It's it, it's it's just the Japanese. Of, no, it's I, I can't remember who produced it. It's but French. It's, I think. But it's, but, no, it's, wait, wait. But, but it's based in Shinjuku, I think. French. It's just it's French. Yeah, but the, but, the, but the people speak English in the movie. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, English language experimental drama art film. Oh my god, that's a handful. It's basically. I, I'm pretty sure you also watched the movie. Because if there's anything that we need to say, if, if if there's one word that we can use to describe Yuasa, and it's not the word crazy or surreal or extravagant, it's experimental. And this anime is experimental as fuck. So it it not only has weird camera angles, weird uses of art background foreground transitions between like real life to animation yes and we're not even joking like real life actors faces actresses faces it uses like 3d capture technology in a way and then there's like cell shading and then there's actual like astro boy style animation in there it's 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 a lot to handle it literally is just like running, running rings around your brain. Your so, mind is just lost. Like as soon as you start watching the first minute. So Yuasa, when uh, was interviewed about this movie, said one sentence that really encapsulates how I feel about the movie, which is, "I wanted uh, mind game basically. I wanted it to look as though we hadn't worked very hard on it, though of course we did." Like. 
Yeah, like, it looks like a mess. You make an effort to not make an effort. What? How do you feel? How do you feel about Mind Game? Like, if I was to say this is a U.S. like work, like absolutely, yes, it is. This, this is like the, in in a way, it's the pinnacle to U.S.'s style because of how wacky and insane it is. Did we enjoy it? So, here is how I feel about Mind Game. I think the fact that both of us decided to stop watching Mind Game midway through kind of tells you why how we feel about it you can stream it on amazon prime and crunchyroll because i don't even know like why they would do that but yeah but hey whatever yuasa is a very well-known guy now and this was his first directorial work i would say though if you were to watch any of yuasa's works don't let this one be the first mind game should actually be the last because it's too much to handle. It's not only too much to handle, but I feel like... To the, to the, naked, to the naked eye and... Uh, yes, the naked mind as well. You just don't know how to digest it. You you will be so lost in it that... You wonder if this guy is crazy or this guy has a vision that you just cannot comprehend. I think this is where a role of a producer or like someone close to the director is important. Yeah. Like, one of the things that we discussed when we were watching it was like, if, if someone were to watch this movie rather than, yo, that, that, that you also guy, that guy does some crazy shit, right? Instead, you would think, yo, that you also guy, that guy's crazy. Yeah. It is the difference between saying someone is shit versus saying someone is the shit. Again, we're not saying you shit. But no. we, we definitely don't feel as good about Mind Game. It's hard to endorse. It's yeah. really hard to endorse, especially if it's going to be the first series or the first property you're going to watch of Yuasa's. Right, because you'll be like, oh, chronologically, let's start from the beginning. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I just like to sort of harbor like a philosophy of mine, which is I personally believe in freedom and choice and expression. But I don't believe in limitless freedom of choice and expression. I believe in some sort of constraint or limit because you would think to yourself, well, if I have free reign to do whatever I want, that's great. And that may be true for some people. But for me, when you give me free reign, I go like a million different directions and I end up going nowhere. I don't have a because no one is there to say this is not acceptable, this is not good, or not even to myself. I therefore have analysis paralysis and don't know how to proceed onwards right it's, it's like one of those things where you like you know chase your dreams you know follow your ambitions but you know no matter how far and how high you try to reach for the stars like you always have your feet planted on the on the earth so there has to be some grounding elements to your creativity because there's no grounding element in mind game. Yeah, and that's what happens when like you literally it's it's like letting a kid go run around in like a toy store with with free reign. Like they're not going to You ever see those videos of like I think it's like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving thing where it's like okay, we're going to open the we're going to open Toys R Us or whatever Toys R Us it is. Uh, one, one minute before everyone else gets in and whatever you grab, it's yours. And immediately whenever the kid runs in, they're so shocked by like what's in there it's like such a sensory overload that they literally do not know what to do that's kind of how i felt watching mind game 
that you're like not more than just you know a deer caught in the headlights kind of situation like i just sat there trying to encapsulate everything and put it into words that i understood and i was just still left with gibberish so mind game was released in 2004 but the commercial success was minimal if anything this this could have been the death of yuasa this actually almost was the death yeah of because following the release of the film yuasa has said that he has struggled to find producers who would support him and let's be honest if i if you were to ask me after watching mind game will i support this person i would be like you're out of your goddamn mind there's just no way yeah it's not like to say that his work was shit it's just how do we translate this to the masses and it showed right the box office wise it did terribly i mean critically for example, which I think is still crazy to this day, it's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so that's may not necessarily like the greatest barometer, but they also Mind Game went on to uh, win uh, the Minichi Film Festival, the Nobura Awards, the Japanese Media Art Festival Grand Prize for Animation, Fantasia International Film Festival Award for Best Film slash Director slash Screenplay, and Visual Accomplishments, and the Audience Award. For best animated film, so clearly some people really like this. It's it, it's just art in a way, right? Like you can go to an art exhibit or a museum and you see something, and it's like, oh, this is so and so valued at like a hundred million dollars. Oh, you mean like interpretive art, right? Yeah, and I look at it, I'll be like, how? Why is this worth this much? In the end, like of course, like anything you watch, anything you consume, it's in the eye of the beholder. You give it value the way you feel it should be valued. Not everyone's going to have an objective idea of what art should be perceived as, and therefore, like there's absolutely no way that both me or Jason or anybody really can fully encapsulate Yuasa's art style unless you've worked with him for days, weeks, months. Clearly, someone out there did. And thank fuck they did, because that then gave him a second chance in the industry, and I don't think he's looked back ever since. And that person who gave him a second chance is uh, Maruyama, uh, co-founder of Madhouse and later of MAPPA. He said that he would give Yuasa the opportunity to kind of basically do whatever he wants. And there he produced, he, he, he directed and made... Kimono Zume in 2006. Now, unfortunately, we couldn't find any uh, streaming options available. And I think Will Googled it and found a DVD box set for 2,000 Hong Kong dollars. It's ridiculous. And it's not even translated. It's, so, just, it's just pure Japanese. So it's like, two, like 250? Yeah. 250 US dollars? US, yeah. For like one TV series. Which is crazy. I think it was like four DVDs total. So imagine paying like... Almost like 80, 90 bucks per DVD US. Like that, that was just mind boggling. So, but so, anyways, yeah. so Kimono Zume is major directorial debut with Madhouse. We, 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 we've seen some of the, the art. It looks crazy. It definitely is Yuasa style, but we can't really talk much about it because we haven't watched it. And neither could you really access it. So we felt that we made an executive decision to move on from Kimono Zume. Another one that is right after uh, Kimono Zume in 2007 was Genius Party. So it is a bunch of uh, short films. So it's an anthology project. So it's like, you know, you know, like a movie, but then the movie is split into like four parts, each directed uh, a mini movie, uh, you know, directed by someone. 
We couldn't get our hands on it either, but I think you can rent it on certain places. But we just thought this is technically only a portion where Yuasa contributed rather than the whole movie. So we decided to move on from Genius Party as well. And there's a sequel in 2008 called Genius Party Beyond. Yeah. So then after Genius Party, he then went back to Madhouse to work on his second property, Kaiba, which unfortunately I didn't have time to watch, but Jason did. So Kaiba, Yuasa directed and created and wrote it. And this is when he uh, also uh, collaborated with Unyong Choi, who directed and did the storyboard for the series, as well as co-write episodes with Yuasa. And it is available on Amazon Prime and Crunchyroll. And I've seen quite a bit of it. I only watched like the first minute of it. Yeah, because I I was like, you just got to watch the first minute of it. It looks cool. It is a very, very unique look. There are backgrounds that are rendered in 3D, but the characters are drawn in 2D. You know, very dynamic hand movement action scenes. There's pot racing in the beginning as well. Kind of, yeah. And the look of the anime doesn't have that typical anime vibe. It's almost... It's it's so typical of Yuasa, essentially. It's like Astro Boy and a Western cartoon had a baby. That is Kaiba. And what is Kaiba? Uh, The storyline? Essentially, it's about memories. And it's about uh, the main character, Kaiba, having amnesia, but then being thrust into this world where memories can be implanted in you, can be extracted from you, you can have your body, you know, juxtaposed like in, in someone else's body or in another new body. It really reminds me of a limited comic book run from 2005 to 2006 called The Surrogates. Now, it star- there is a movie that is based on this uh, comic book starring Bruce Willis. The movie was really terrible. But the comic book is actually really interesting because it talks about how memories and identity really can mess with someone's psyche or what is your own memories and what is not what is you know and in kaiba all of these memories and being able to transplant yourself to a body making yourself immortal basically because then you transfer into another body are only available to the rich and there are they live up in the clouds whereas the poor everyday citizen lives down in the slums on the bottom. And this is just crazy ambitious. Does it stick the landing? I can't tell you for sure, but it is definitely very interesting. I I think it is a it is definitely at least an eight, if not a nine. I can already tell. That's so pretty high praise. So four out of five stars at the very least. I think it's really good. Right, we move on to the next property, which is also the final production that he did uh, under Madhouse. So we've talked about this so many times. I've talked about this so many times. It's freaking Tatami Galaxy. It's, for me, the best anime that I've ever watched and probably will be for the rest of well, however long I decide to, to watch, watch anime. So the Tatami Galaxy is based off of a novel written by Tomihiko Morimi. And uh, 
It follows a nameless student going through a time loop, basically, trying to live the days of his youth. Yeah, the misadventures of a young man trying to guide himself through life, and he meets all sorts of people. He gets into himself into all sorts of uh, situations, and it's up to him in terms of how he wants to move forward with certain storylines, how he wants to build certain connections, how he communicates to the world and the people around him, all while trying to find his own identity. So it's very much one of those kind of self-exploration but psychodramatic kind of shows. There's definitely comedic elements to it. There's a lot of color and a lot of absurdity that happens in the in, in the show as well. Uh, and, and and think about it this way as well. You know, it's it it it, it comes from a campus novel, so it's just literally just a, a story. To then be able to translate that into a visual representation on screen, you you know that like it, it took a while for Yuasa to come together with how he envisioned the story, how he envisioned the characters, how he envisioned them to all look, and also how to really focus on certain elements of each story. Um, I, I think it's it's just beautiful. It, it, it's, it, it's the perfect meld of, of great music, great story arcs, great character development, and you know a real representation of themes when it comes to being able to put emotions on screen, being able to self-explore and grow as the story develops. And then it's not always going to be like, a, oh, a happy ending kind of thing. Like, no, like the main character really does have to graft and get their way through to the end. There, there are so many twists and turns in the show that like I, I, I can't help but give it like a, a two thumbs up, 10 out of 10 endorsement. And also, Tatami Galaxy is very well known for its rapid-fire editing and fast-paced dialogue, which I think turns off a lot of people right away. Oh, right from the beginning, the first Yeah, the first thing frame. when he tries to explain the location is just crazy fast. You know how like people, whenever like they talk about like how fast they type, it's like, oh, I can type like 80 words per minute, 100 words per minute. No, this is like 500 words per minute spoken. It's it's crazy like how rapid the opening montage is, but it it sets the bar, it sets the tone for the rest of the series, and I think you get used to it. Yeah, I mean, like for me, like this is around a period when I was watching a lot of battle and fighting shonen, a lot of like adventure kind of shows where it's like you talk about you know journeying through across the land and trying to be the best person that you are, whether you're a ninja or a pirate or you know a, a, a soul eater or a fucking like, shinigami, whatever. So then when I come across the Atomic Galaxy on Netflix, I was like, this is interesting. Oh, it's got a pretty good like score on my anime list. Why don't I check it out? Immediately fell in love with it. Like the 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 tones, the colors, the way that the characters are are, are I mean, like a bit of word, characterized. I, I felt that it was just perfect. The way that he presents each story and how the characters start growing as they interact with the world around them—it's, it—it's it, a beautiful mix of absurdity and expressionism, but also formula from beginning to end. Being able to get this main character, who is you know kind of a, a lost and directionalist young man, to being able to really find out what makes him happy, what he wants to be, and then seeking that, that conclusion. So there is several things I would like to say about Tatami Galaxy, but Will encapsulated a lot of my thoughts. I still think it is of exceptional anime. I wouldn't say 10 out of 10, but easy 9, 9.5 out of 10. Not my favorite, but heavily endorsed as well. The other thing that I would say is 
the theme of trying to find oneself and you know purpose and direction in life being aimless at first then finding your purpose is is a constant theme throughout all of Yuasa's work cuz back in Kaiba Kaiba needs to find out who he is and what he wants to do in Tatami Galaxy Watashi which means yourself so it's an unnamed protagonist wants to get the most out of his college last year so then he tries a bunch of different things and it loops around that I will we will stress time and time and again the theme of trying to find oneself yeah one thing I remember um, Yuasa talked about in one of the interviews when he was describing how he wants to portray story in his works is that more often than not he wants to put you the viewer into the character's shoes they want you to sort of live the experiences of them and then using your own subjectivity your own perceptions then derive your own emotion from it your own like reasons for appreciating certain things not appreciating certain things but in the end you still come to a point where you're just looking at the works like yeah but okay this this does actually speak volumes to me like if you talk about mind game even mind game has self-identity as well in there too amongst many different crazy batshit elements that are in the movie Mind Game. Right. So another thing, the final thing I would say about the Tommy Galaxy is of its release. Uh, up till now, like Kimonozume and Kaiba was only released on satellite television network called Wow Wow. But Tatami Galaxy was broadcast on national television via Fuji TV. And Fuji TV uh, will eventually be this constant collaborator with Yuasa, even with Science Saru. Uh, the other thing is that the Tatami Galaxy was also released for the first time for streaming release in North America. So the series helped put him on the map outside of Japan. And of course, a lot of people think that it's one of the best anime series of the decade or in Will's case of all time it has won a bunch of awards that I won't need to name because if you really want to find out you can google it but or it, you can also just go on Netflix and Funimation yeah, it's still there it's still there it's good you should watch it yeah I think we need to then move on to the other stuff because I could just keep talking about uh, about fucking um Mm-hmm. Zombie Galaxy. So, so the next thing that we want to, I want to talk about in terms of Yuasa's work is actually not Japanese. It's this is actually you know very left field, but it's also like indicative of the kind of career trajectory that Yuasa has had. Um, I'm sure you've, co- you've probably seen a couple clips of it on Facebook, maybe on TV. We're talking about Adventure Time. So when Science Saru was first founded in 2013. One of their goals was to not only do their own Japanese anime series, but also to do other subcontracting series as well, Uh, like work, basically. And one of them is Adventure Time in 2014 with an episode called Food Chain, which is, I think, the seventh episode of season six. And I couldn't watch all of it from beginning to end, but you could... YouTube clips of the episode that are on Cartoon Network or on the Adventure Time official channel. So it's not like you could see it from beginning to end, but I saw like 12, 15 minutes of a 20-something minute episode. So that's pretty much all you need. And I was able to see all of it fully legal, fully freely available. 
Have you ever watched much Adventure Time? I love Adventure Time. It's great. It's, a lot of times when you're watching it, it's it's very much it it, it, it it's almost like following the, the ethos of of Yuasa in that it's it's surreal, it's experimental, it's wacky, it's colorful. Yuasa would have watched this as a kid. Yeah, I'm sure Yuasa is his his kids if they're not watching his stuff, he's, they're watching Adventure Time. Like it's it, it's it's almost like the two like. If if he was an American, if he was like working in the in, in the animation industry in America or in the North, in North America, he'd be a part of it. So food chain is an episode where they talk about the food chain, and uh you know sort of like oh a grass uh you know plant flowers grow from the soils, worms eat the 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 leaves of the flower, then birds eat the worm, and then a bigger bird eats. The bird and I and then the bird dies and then turns into bacteria which then goes into the earth and then the earth and actually that's the cycle that they use in the in the television series it's super trippy psychedelic there's a heavy use of music which is really awesome music to the point where I think under the Google search it is under Adventure Time food chain is where to find song or something like that uh, it, it being like it, it, the way you described it, it very much kind of not only is like indicative of Adventure Time style, but also Science Saru style. Ex- extremely. It, it, it's a match that just ma- just had to be made, right? And yeah, they didn't do like any more episodes afterwards, but like it it left its mark. I think a lot of people would consider, in terms of guest directors, like this is one of the highest rated guest directions for the series. So. I mean, it's won a bunch of awards again. We're get, you're going to hear us say, and then it won a bunch of awards for almost every piece of work because it, it really did earn awards for every piece of work. Yeah, I mean, like being able to be uh, a Japanese studio but win an award for on, on an American TV series—that's pretty stellar. But I think it's time to go back to Japan, right, Jason? Time it's to time to play the sport of ping pong, the animation. Int- so this is yeah, this is uh, a really really wonderful piece of art again uh, produced in 2014 yeah, it, based it, off it's, of a it's so good. based off of a sports manga about uh, two high school students who you are, watched the, the live action as well yes right? and the live action was like ages ago like 2002 or something on VCD do you remember that stuff yep crazy do. I remember like giving it to one of my friends on VCD like come on I don't think a lot of Westerners would even know what VCD is. That's video CD, so before DVDs were invented. What's the CD stand for? Compact disc. There you go. Hey, hey. What's a disc? <laughs> it's a floppy disc. Dude, none of our fucking laptops have disc drives anymore. So. Or CD drives or anything, yeah. really. They just have USB and uh, USB- headphone jack. USB- USB-C, USB-C as well, yeah. not USB-A. Uh, but yeah, so this P- is... Uh, ping pong. Yeah, this is... Oh, oh man. Like, ping pong let's is... Let's get into a, this. Sp- okay. I know, Will, you like Tatami Galaxy the most out of all his works, or arguably the most influential on your, like, personal top ten. Of all the Yuasa stuff, Ping Pong the animation is not only a 10 out of 10, but as of right now is the most impactful Yuasa work that I have watched. It's my second favorite. There is not only crazy animation... That is, you could even see it in Mind Game. That you could even see it in uh, clips of Kimono Zume. That it's just like that kind of rough. Everything doesn't look really right, but it you can clearly tell what it is. 
The music is so upbeat, so good. And uh, the story is fantastic. There is a monologue towards the end of the series that is just... I, I teared up because it was just that impactful and that hype. When, when we talk about all these series, all these works that U.S. has done, you know, talking about finding oneself, self-identity and expression, one common thing that you know, we want to mention is a lot of times the main characters go through very introspective moments where they kind of they go deep down and have their own thoughts. When it comes to ping pong, it's probably the most expressive version of introspectivity but even so like smile right one yeah. of the two main protagonists his struggle to sort of find who he is and what was the other guy's name i don't remember shit you talking about the chinese guy no not the. that's when oh uh, uh the other ping pong player uh, in the co- what was his, I, I, what was I, his? I, I know who you're talking about though shit we after we said like this is our favorite one of our favorite but films it's been a while i mean like it was almost a year since we last watched it oh, god god damn it i guess okay Basically, ping pong is fantastic. And if there is any show that you watch, I highly recommend ping pong, the animation. How many awards did it win? A shit ton. A shit ton. I mean, do you want to name off if you really want to? Nah, we already did it earlier. Uh, but funny enough, you know, whilst, uh, you know, Science Saru, his company, did, you know, work on uh, the animation for. Uh, for 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 Peko Peko, P E K O. Ah, that's him. Okay, so this was a, a joint collaboration, not just with Science Saru, but also another studio called Tatsunoko Productions. So I think this was like again one of those one of those things where now, hey, we know who you are. We know the studio you you work with. We have no problem collaborating with you. So you had Science Saru who was going over like you know the anime production, whereas. You know, you had the main studio, which was Tetsunoko Productions, acting as the primary studio. And Yuasa not only wrote it, but also storyboarded and directed Ping Pong, the animation, of course. So Where can you watch it? You can watch it on Funimation. Moving forward again. Now, similar in the way that uh, Science Saru or, like, and or Masaki Yuasa works on uh, individual episodes of other productions, of other series, uh, in the same year... You also also helped to direct a uh, a, a TV show um, called Space Dandy, uh, produced by Bones Studios. So the episode itself is called "Slow and Steady Wins the Race, Baby," and it also you know received critical acclaim. We can't really talk much about it because we've only watched like one or two episodes of S- Space Dandy, and like this is like episode sixteen of the whole series as well. So it, it's really not our place to talk much about it. I, I kind of like Space Dandy. I think Space Dandy is all right. I, but again, like, I don't think I have watched enough to give a definitive opinion other than to say it is definitely not bad. It's good. It's one of those things where it's like, look, if you, if you like Shinichiro, Shinichiro Watanabe, like if you watch Cowboy Bebop or if you watch Samurai Champloo, you probably would be thinking, okay, well, he also made Space Dandy. You should totally check it out. And you should. Unfortunately, we just never had enough time to actually finish off the whole series. So we can't really give much of a conclusive feedback on the series itself. Nor can we even talk about the actual episode that you also worked on. So we're just going to move ahead. So after directing a bunch of TV series with Madhouse and then guest directing on Space Dandy in 2014, Madhouse, as uh, you might have listened to in our previous numbered episode, kind of had some troubles 
So in that sense, Yuasa then went to find uh, his own product uh, animation studio, Sain Saru. And then in 2017, made uh, essentially his their first, Sain Saru's first feature film called Lou Over the Wall. You can watch it on, uh, let's see, hold on a sec here. You can watch it on Netflix, basically. That's where I watched it. And uh, it is pretty good. The Yuasa directed and co-wrote Lou Over the Wall. And it was his first feature film with an original story. So that's pretty interesting. Lou Over the Wall is essentially about merfolk. So like mermaids and mermans with a fishing village. And sort of their hatred or uh, they're scared of one another. So then they kind of go their separate ways. Uh, the fishermen's never fish in the area where the merfolk live. And the merfolk never come. There's like... Uh, to the to the shore, there's rumors of that a uh, merfolk like eating humans and stuff like that. But your main character, who is a high school guy, kind of aimless. <laughs> I mean, as if like that is not another constant reminder of Yuasa's themes. Trying to find himself, likes music, and plays music. And music is actually very scary because. Music in this world attracts the the merfolk because I guess it's like sirens, you know, like yeah, music yeah. and stuff like that. In fact, one of the cafes is called Siren in Ride Your Wave, which is just like it's just water. Okay, anyways, it's about a relationship between Lou, who is a mermaid, and a guy who I can't remember his name, nor does it really matter, and uh, their relationship with one another. And the use of music. If I had to distill what it is in one sentence, think of Ponyo and E.T. and like Footloose or like a musical and combine them all into one and make it very kid-friendly, you get Lou over the wall. The story is extremely, almost stupidly simplistic. But the color palette is awesome. As we said time and time and again, the energy is really awesome. There is a very hopeful message towards the end, albeit a, a little bit like confusing at first. But then when you think about it some more, it's actually very hopeful and very nice. And uh, it's pretty good. I don't think it did very well, though, because I checked out some box office records and the worldwide box office sales of Lou Over the Wall is one hundred and seventy-six thousand eight hundred and eight U.S. dollars. Do you remember? Uh, I told you this before as well. Do you remember the box office it's set in the U.S.? No, five thousand six hundred dollars. Ah, uh, that's like that's like one movie theater. That's like four months' rent. <laughs> oh God! I will say though that the movie has a very weird, dramatic shift in tone in the second third. You know, the dark second act, and then there's the resolution. The dark second act comes out of nowhere, and it's very weird. But that being said, Lou is super cute as the mermaid. Recommend? The, the dance sequence is very Looney Tunes-esque. I would definitely recommend it. I think if you want to get... if I ha, If I was a parent and want to get my kids to watch something... Lou Over the Wall is definitely worth watching. 
because you can get something out of it as well as an adult, but the kids would love it. They'll, they definitely would like it a lot. After Lure of the Wall, we will have essentially a continuation of the Atomic Galaxy universe with the Night of Short Walk-On Girl, uh, which was released in 2017. So this was and essentially... based off of the novel yeah. by... Uh, the, Morimi, yeah. Yeah, by the same author. So, so he actually had the opportunity, uh, I'm talking about Yuasa, to actually start working on this, but because of contractual agreements and just not having the time to dedicate towards it, he just never got around to doing it. So then when he, in the middle of his productions for Lure of the Wall, he was offered the opportunity to pick it up and actually adapt uh, the this comedy romance. And I'm so glad he did because if you like and you know I like Tatami Galaxy, you will also really like Night is, Night is Short, Walk On Girl. So this was you know essentially like a, kind of like a reunion party for Masaki because a lot of the creative departments uh, that worked on Tatami Galaxy returned for, uh, for, for Night is Short. And it makes sense because it's it's set in the same universe in the sense that it's around Kyoto University or a Kyoto University, and some of the characters are actually the same. So you'll still have like you know, a certain sage, you might have a certain like male character, a certain female character that you know you could you know pick up and drop into each other property, and not much would change. But the story itself is is oof, it's it's really cute really heartwarming um again i think it comes down to the fact that because i'm such a big atomic galaxy fan that it just was easy for me to endorse the night of short walk on girl i think i watched half of the film before i uh was really tired that one time it is very good it is the same style that yuasa is well known for the color the energy and it's just about literally this girl and her night out one long night, to be precise. Now, this is a world where it's kind of like everyone is either an alcoholic or they're not. And this, the main character is just she, – she, she, she can drink water. like She can drink alcoholic water. She, I have, she, I have to say, though, fine. I think that if I could live in that world and just have like a night out, it would be like the best night ever. Everyone's friendly. Everyone is happy. Everyone is drinking. You can dance like an idiot and no one cares. You can walk around with no pants on and everyone's like, hey, put your pants back on. Hey, what you, what, what you doing there, buddy? Hey, you want to look at this uh, this erotic art over here? Come over here, buddy. Have a drink with me. Why did my wife leave me? Uh, oh, no, my wife is back now. Oh, hooray. It's like, it's just like so many things happen in, in, in and one of the lines in the, the movie is, in capsule, it's like, what felt what what was a, a long night felt like a year, and it felt like everyone experienced so many different things. I would I want to I, I want to see what this person experienced, and then the other person would be like, "Oh, I wonder how this person experienced that night." It's just it's it's just it's, it's again like talking about you know perception, talking about identity, talking about how one lives in a similar environment but has different experiences. So. A lot of a lot of tropes and themes are very similar across Tommy Galaxy and that is short. Uh, but what I would say is like in terms of like the the story, you know, Tommy Galaxy is is king for me. Night is short is the queen. It, it is very much on the same pedestal. Uh, I just have to give it to you know, I, 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 the I OG. Have, I have to give the crown to um, the OG. That's it. You can watch uh, Night is Short Walk on Girl on Amazon Prime such a such a good time it is it is an hour and 45 minutes a bit on the long side but well worth your time so at this point you 
we have talked about a bunch of very uplifting, ooh, a bunch ooh. of very colorful, Dude, Jason, a bunch of very the, the lights just went out. A bunch of very. I'm trying to talk so. Think, uh, things are getting a little bit. Oh my god! Here. What is that? Who's that thing? What's that shadow? Ooh, yo, I see those people taking a bunch of drugs. It's wait a minute. Wait, is, what? Is, is are they thing? having sex? Jesus Christ! In wait, front of us. Wait, that's a. Hey, that's not a woman. That's not that, a man. That's a. How how many teeth does that thing have? Oh oh my god! Oh my god! He's eating that person. Wait, wait! Are we just watching Devilman Crybaby? Hell yeah, we are. This is another one of the fucking mind fuck TV shows that your boy Masaki Yuasa dropped on Netflix in two thousand and eighteen. Now you're not gonna find it anywhere else because it's Netflix exclusive. But you better make sure you have a Netflix subscription because if you have one. This is a much it's for me is it's a must watch. So remember when I said that ping pong the animation is probably my favorite? I have to say though, Devilman Crybaby is probably the most important piece of work that Yuasa has done. Mainly because for several reasons. The first of which it is on Netflix a platform that a lot of the world has access to. He has gotten a lot of attention uh due to Devilman Crybaby. In fact, I think I read somewhere that because of his popularity with Devilman Crybaby, a bunch of licensors basically bought the license for his previous works. That's why you can even have access to Tatami Galaxy or like all of Mind the, Game or Mind Game, right? This is the fact that you can watch Mind Game on Crunchyroll is because, in my opinion, of the fame that comes with Devilman Crybaby. It is based off of a manga in the 1970s. 1970s, yeah. But so, it's not anything really to do with the manga, really, right? Well, no, because because so so this is originally from Devilman, who was written, which was written by Go Nagai, who's also done Cutie Honey and also Mazinger G. I don't know Mazinger Z. Um, the the way that the manga was written was that uh, is kind of almost op- open interpretation. Right, it, you still have the central themes of heaven and hell. You still had the, the central themes of, of demons and monsters, but a lot of times it, it, it had a anime adaptation, but from the eighties. There's a lot of people who take the story and try to recreate their own versions of it. It was only when it came to Yuasa that like shit hit the fan. I think literally, I think in one of the episodes, actual shit hit the fan. So it is gory. And violent, oh, violent, and yeah. sexual, and illicit drugs. It is just depravity. But then, at the same time, it looks really gorgeous. I don't know how to feel about this. And I think that's the point, right? Like, it almost is comical. Some of the and and mind bending and psychedelic. Some of the very violent scenes. Now you would watch it, and when you think about it you'd be like, wow, that is actually really, really messed up. But the way that they portray it on on screen, it actually looks artistic in a weird way. And the camera angles and shot compositions are actually done very well. And the characters themselves are very well written as well. And, and there are memes everywhere, like that running that running meme. Oh, dude, people, like, that's the one thing. I don't understand like, <laughs> how they start, the way that they run. Their, their, the way that their, their gait and the way that they move their arms, yeah, it was definitely meme worthy. Yo, I was tilted so hard. You, 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 you as a bio, as a person that like does biomechanics and prosthetics and biomedical engineering, I was just like, you can't do that. You can't do that. There is a perfectly able-bodied woman running behind you, 
that looks fine, but you're running like that makes no sense to me. Yep. But it's pretty funny. I, I love I love the show. I think, like... There's a rap scene that is pretty crazy. I think, like, if I had to sort of rank the top three Yuasa works that I've watched, I'm not putting Night Your Short in there because it's essentially part of the Tatami Galaxy universe. Um, I, think I would put number one as Tatami Galaxy, followed by Ping Pong with... Devil Man Crybaby as a strong third, just because of how high octane and ridiculous and violent it is. But the, the 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 darker tones and themes of the story is also just like it's gut wrenching. Like you you definitely watch it and you just wonder like is this just eternal damnation? Is there any salvation for any of these characters? And when you do when you do start getting those glimmers of hope, it gets snatched away from you, and then you get to see another glimmer of hope. It's it's just I have never you, you just get put through the ringer with your emotions. I've never seen a color white in Devilman Crybaby and go, oh, that person is a good person. Yeah, it's, Every, it's, it's you, so hard to tell. Because you think like people who wear white are like angels, right? Angelic, like holy people. But in Devilman Crybaby, they're like nah, son. Usually, the white is there so that it can get tainted with red later on, or yeah. they're just they're just bad people. Left nothing looks brighter on white than red. Exactly, but here's the thing. N- apparently, ninety percent of the viewers of Devilman Crybaby came from outside of Japan. That I mean, was a st- I, I watched it in Hong Kong. That I was know, st- I know loads of friends who watched it in the U.S. That was a statistic that was put out there, and honestly, I believe it because I don't really feel like this is a very Japanese-oriented series do you think so obviously they speak japanese is animated by and directed by uh, a studio that is primarily based in japan but this is not i mean i i i'm telling you that a lot of japanese people probably like it but it's almost not for them in a weird way well, I guess it, it, in a similar way, it's kind of like how we talked about like the proliferation of anime and how like oh, exactly. certain like big hits, right? Like the Naruto's and the Bleaches. I'm sure they were popular in Japan, but they're way more popular elsewhere, right? In the same way, Devilman. I think it's just because of the fact that it's it's the art style, right? It's the themes, it's the sexually charged nature of the story, and the fact that it's also not like broadcast on national TV. It's you know on Netflix, and it is R-rated as fuck oh, it's super r-rated and no no i mean like I, I i don't know if i want to spoil this but there is like a sequence of events where sex violence decapitation body horror body horror was all in a span of several seconds and i was just like and you best you 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 you'd be damned if you didn't think that there were drugs involved no there were definitely drugs involved in the scene as well it's like it's just one of those like a lot of taboo things in japan all in one scene which you can probably understand why it didn't maybe kick off in japan as much as the rest of the world but but guess what yeah. yuasa ain't gonna give no fucks cuz no. it's awesome it's it was it's that, that scene alone was fucking insane so that was 2018 now let's calm down a bit and maybe you know catch a wave right in 2019... Hit the beach and all that shit, you know? Yuasa directed his next feature film, The Romance, called Ride Your Wave. It's an original story. And, uh... So... This film... I'll start with how much it earned. Because if Lou Over the Wall earned less than 200,000 US dollars, this one earned close to 4 million US dollars. Which is insane to me. That is immediately a success. Also, China 
contributed 1.9 million of that 4 million. And then Japan contributed 1.6 million of that 4 million. So China even outpaced Japan. Now, okay, granted, China is huge. But China also loves anime, too. But China also loves anime, too. I mean, we're... We are, like, into anime as well. We're Chinese people. Yeah. I mean, what's not to like about anime? What's not there? Yeah, exactly. Anime is good. Yeah. So, generally, you said 4 million, right? Just under half of it was contributed by China. Exactly. You know, if if China likey, you're going to make some money. So, Ride Your Wave is about a surfer girl and her relationship with a guy who is a firefighter. And then so water is essentially like in the like in the midst of their their beings, right? Yes. Uh, I mean even more ways than one, but I can't spoil that because let's just say water plays an extremely extremely important role not on top on top of what I've already said about it. And obviously this is one of the first major works that features a woman prominently. In fact, like she is the main character. And this woman is very aimless, doesn't know what to do, and doesn't know what she wants in her life. So then she decides to move back to the beach town that she grew up in. And she also likes to surf. So she lives next to the beach. And uh, it's very lovey-dovey. And then uh, very feel-good. There's a bit of drama, a bit of tragedy. But, you know, you can't have romance without some tragedy or drama. I have to say, though, the same thing can be said about all the other Yuasa films that he has done recently. So, vibrant color. Music is awesome. Even though it doesn't play that prominent of a role compared to Lou Over the Wall. It's more more subtle, right? More subtle. And the smoothest pickup line said by a character I have ever seen. Watch the movie and find out yourself. It, it, there's only one pickup line, but that pickup line, I, I even told you about it, right? It was like... The smooth as fuck. Smooth as fuck. So, I, it's also uh, interesting to see that, like, with all the works that he's done, like, he finally has, like, a, a, a female main character. I mean, I know that the, when we talk about the Atomic Galaxy, Night is Short... Um, that female characters play a very prominent role in his works. We, we watch, there's actually another one that are on that you know, like female characters play the most important roles in his shows. Like, and it's 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 something that like we've talked about outside of like the Wasa works and just works in general. That more often than not, like female characters don't necessarily get the best treatment. They I don't mean, get, that they, applies yeah. to live action as well, that too, that and too. real life as well. Yeah, but I wonder why. Huh. Uh, let's Ta- not get into time that. Time to change that shit. It is. Because, look, like, some of the female characters in Yuasa are probably the most important characters. It, dude, the, do, you know who, do you know who the most important character there is ever? It's fucking Inyoung Choi. Without Inyoung, there is no science sorrow either, right? So, like, I think, like, y- Yuasa, o- honestly, Yuasa knows. Honestly, I know that Yuasa and Choi are BFFs. But I know, I just know in my bones that what it is is Yuasa is going to be like, yo, I want to play over there. That looks fun. And then Choi is like, oh, there are spikes there. Huh. Hey, Yuasa, why don't you come over here and play on the monkey bars? Oh, the monkey bars? Awesome. Hey, we used to play on monkey bars all the time. Let's call our studio Science Saru. That's basically what 
uh, Choi is. Not saying that all she does is to avert or subdue Yuasa, but she honestly understands who he is, his vision, his process, to the point where Will just mentioned before, Yuasa gave the keys to Choi. It's like, yo, I'm still going to collaborate with you. This studio is still my baby, but you're the boss now. Awesome. Call me whenever. Yeah, I think but one of the discussions as well was that whilst, like, again, this is in their words, whilst Yuasa is more like the brains when it comes to directing, when it comes to production, Inyong's the one. I mean, that is the marriage of practicality versus creativity. All the creativity. stuff that we've been talking about since, like, Tommy Galaxy, she's the one who's produced all of them. Whereas Masaki is the one who's directed them, and and he also and Unyoung Choi did the storyboards and directing, so she not only knows the creative process, she also knows how Yuasa works, her style, his style, and everything. So they're BFF, they're partner in crime, essentially, and, and they're going to be godparents of each other's kids. Yes. So Rise Your Wave, going back to uh, the movie, is really good, but it. How do I say this? It doesn't stand out amongst the rest of his catalog, right? Not only does it not stand out, it feels very uh, what I would consider a gateway anime. Which is, if you were to watch Yuasa's stuff, and you have never seen any of his stuff, Ride Your Wave and probably Lou Over the Wall would be the two safest, quote-unquote, safest choice. Does it really capture Yuasa's style completely? Like Devilman Crybaby or Mind Game or Ping Pong or Tatami Galaxy? No. But you, if you watch Ride Your Wave and you notice some creative liberties or some uses that are kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Hmm, I kind of like that weird quirkiness. Then, ladies and gentlemen, get ready to go down the rabbit hole that is the works of Masaki Yuasa. So, at the end of the day... Color palette's great. Energy is great. Hopeful message. Romance is lovey-dovey and cute. Smooth as fuck. Pickup line. 7 to 7.5 out of 10 for this uh, film. And this is one of the easier ways to uh, get an introduction to Yuasa's work. Yeah. So you remember how uh, we talked earlier about, like, when it comes to manga creation, we did an episode, uh, episode 9, on, like, the world of uh, anime creation and talking about certain anime that reflect the anime studio, the anime industry, right? Like, for instance, like, Shirobako is a representation of what the anime industry is like. I feel like Keep Your Hands Off Isaken is a representation of what working at Science Saru is like. Yeah, but, you know, animation, it starts when you are a kid, you know, creativity blooms, and then in Japan, high school is, like, the, the best years of your life, apparently, Kind of. Yeah. And you have to find the troop of, you know, a creative bonkers little midget along with a up and rising VA who's got a lot of money and also an extremely freakishly tall but very money savvy girl. And you have the makings of the best anime studio you'll find in your rural town of Japan. So Keep Your Hands Off Isaacin is based off of a manga. And Yuasa directed, I don't know what you call it, comedy. It's a comedy, right? It's absolutely a comedy. Uh, keep your hands off Isaac in 2020, the year 2020. You can watch it on Crunchyroll. We watched it on Netflix. It's really good. It's about a, th- a trio of high school girls who want to make animation. 
and they do it and succeed. Yeah. So before when we talked about how Shirobako is like the nitty gritty, the number crunching, and the actual production element of the anime industry. Keep your hands off Isaacin is the creative process. You know, being able to sit down with a storyboard or an empty slate or getting on your computer or turning on, you know, a recording project and just making something, letting your ideas flow, going out into the field and researching. Like, it's they literally do all of that in the 12 episodes of Isaacin. There's like a moment where they have to capture a bell sound for their animation and the lengths that they go to capture the correct bell sound or this character couldn't move like this because of the way it's designed, so it should move like this, and therefore its sound effect should be this. Is just, the attention to detail is just exquisite. And you know how we talk about, um, like, how the animation, the art, um, the works, just in general, the works of Masaki Iwasa is, like, very wacky and experimental? Like, you actually get to see that process in Isaacan, because the, the characters start talking about how they envision certain scenes of an anime coming to life, and they actually then recreate that specific scene in the anime itself. It's very meta, it's, it's, but it's also really cool because like, you would imagine that working with Yuasa is essentially what Isaacan looks like. You know, like his, you, you, I think we, we talked about how animators how uh, how the staff of Sansaro or any collaborators kind of have like creative freedom or like the liberty to do what they feel is right for the show like that that's pretty much how they went about working on Isaacan you know talking about like their own experiences when it comes to creation creating anime and it all went into the story so this also hands of Isaacan again won a bunch of awards but I would like to highlight that it won um, the best director of the year for the second time for Yuasa, and this is the Crunchyroll Anime Awards. So say what you will about the Crunchyroll Anime Awards, but Devilman Crybaby, he won for uh, Anime of the Year and also Best Director. Hands of Isaacin, he won Director of the Year and Best Animation. So needless to say that the point that I'm trying to make is international recognition has been firmly established by these two properties because at least one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world for anime acknowledges that this shit is awesome not to mention the opening for keep your hands isaac is one of my personal favorites it's it's really damn good you want to dance right it, oh, oh that's the other thing lou over the wall you want to dance okay ride your wave you kind of want to dance too so it's all like just music and dancing and stuff yeah it's very different from Devilman Crybaby because instead of dancing, you want to run. Yeah. Maybe with proper form, but you just want to run. But uh, do you want to run away from disaster, Will? Uh, I don't want to. I actually don't want to talk about this one, but I guess we have to. Then, then I'll talk about it. Japan Sinks 2020. Or that Japan Stinks. Oh, this was terrible. So, Science Saru produced the Netflix series Japan Sinks 2020 based on, the disaster, based on a disaster novel. And then... It is about an earthquake, right? Is it earthquake, right? An earthquake that leads into a tsunami. That decimates Japan. Yep. And it talks about people trying to recover from the natural disaster. There is a, apparently a theatrical version called Japan Sinks 2020 theatrical version. Duh. It has won a bunch of awards. It's also made by Science Saru. Will hates it. You can watch it on Netflix. 
I think the it was promising, and then it just gets stupid. But hey, apparently it won a bunch of awards, and people like it. Critically, and- critically again, it did well. But mal ratings, no. My ratings, absolutely no. But one thing that I will say, though, which is kind of interesting, is the inclusion of multicultural and multi-language within uh, Japan Sinks. Because even within the first episode, you get people that speak in English, albeit not good English, but at least the attempt was made. You have interracial families. You have interracial families. And in some ways, condemnation of the Japanese nationalistic views, which is like a ballsy thing to do. But... If there was anybody who was going to do it, I felt like it was going to be Masaki Yuasa. So he received, but then again, he also wasn't the one who wrote the story either. So he received some uh, criticism for his condemnation of Jap- Japanese nationalism, but at the same time received positive attention for multiculturalism and inclusiveness. Because for better or for worse, in natural disaster, everyone is equal, right? There's interracial families, there is white families, there's Japanese families. They're all experiencing tragedy. Yeah, it, it, it always, it, and they're all trying to revive somehow right whether it's revive their family revive their lost ones revive their nation it's again another one of those exploration of self kind of stories but with other people who are experiencing the same tragedy as you i will never look at an elderly person on an electric wheelchair with a bow and arrow the same way ever again (sighs) ticket but uh rappers are back in here yeah there's also a YouTuber I forgot to think. Oh man, how much would you watch? You watch? I watched only two episodes and I couldn't take it anymore. I'll be honest. I watched it. I don't remember much of it. I remember the first episode being like, the first like five ten minutes is just you know, gorgeous, uh, you know, uh, gorgeous. Uh, what you call it? Like a gorgeous sky. You know, weather is great. Everyone is about their business. All happy. You get like the university track team, you know, running around. You get, like, dogs, uh, you know, barking in the park and, like, little baby girls, like, holding hands with the mom. And I'm just looking at this and knowing Yuasa and just go, like, you're just going to fuck shit up in, like, God knows how long. And guess what? It does. And it's just, like, Yuasa, come on, man. See, for me, like, the reason why I didn't really vibe with it as much, I mean, there were a lot of reasons, but one one major factor is the fact that there are there were a lot of similarities to this other anime called Tokyo Magnitude 8.0, which I also didn't like. So it was like, yeah, if I didn't like that one, there's a lot of similarities with this one. I don't know if I'm going to suddenly change my mind and say I like this one more. No, I, I, I just like both of them just as much. I think the first episode was pretty good, to be honest. Oh, but then that's as, be- as, as, as good as it's going to be. It just sucks afterwards i mean okay fine there i know i know enough people who like the show don't count me in that bunch i mean it got nominations and it won an award yeah, but so what whatever but it actually won the least amount of awards yeah as as, as it should have anyways but, but hey if you like it it's still on netflix so go ahead and watch it. it's a netflix exclusive but will what happens when uh you try to revive and by revive i mean uh, recapture the accomplishments of a 14th century poet and mix it with modern dance and music. You, 
basically get one of the most ambitious projects that Yuasa is aiming to work on, which is Inuo. Projected to come out sometime in 2021, but we actually haven't got any full confirmation of when it's coming out. So expect 2022 is basically probably, how it is. Yeah, probably. It's, I mean, like, I've seen like some like animation snippets because uh, you also did an interview about Inuo, but like there's barely anything on it right now. It's it's very much like under wraps. So it is centers on a blind musician and a Noah actor afflicted by a terrible curse. And Yuasa's goal with the film is to portray the historical equivalents with modern-day pop stars. And I'm just like, yeah, sure, Yuasa, I believe you when you say that. But, like, Christ almighty, how is this going to work? He's going to all of a sudden have, like, a song and dance routine from, like, AKB48 or some, like, maybe the, the seiyu that does the voice acting. He says the film the is a musical that incorporates both modern song and dance, and it's about a 14th century poet. So, like, what? It's 14th century, then all of a sudden a rapper shows up out of nowhere, and then a K-pop dance routine starts happening, and then the mob, mob flash. I, I, what is this? It's, it's, it's Shakespeare meets Tupac. With some BTS thrown in there. We don't know what to expect other than to there, say... There, there's nothing. There's nothing that we can really run off of. There is know, the, there right? is a poster, but the poster is basically like a logo. That's it. Yeah. So, and even then, like, when talking about, like, his work, it's just, like, him trying to talk about what he aims to achieve, not what he's already done with it. So, look, your guess is as good as ours. We have no idea what to expect, but... But you, you bet your you bet your yeah. fucking ass that Will and I will be there in line to watch this film. Knowing it's Yuasa, like, what else would you expect? All right, and that pretty much lists most, if not all, the major works that are either accessible or that like we want to highlight. And it's a lot. Wow, we went over actually looking at the time. Yeah, but I think we're doing fine anyway. Anyways, there's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff that he's worked on. Uh, very clear that there are certain shows, certain series, even maybe even movies uh, that are favorites of mine, favorite of Jason's, or even just favorites of the both of us. Long story short, Yuasa is a madman, a, cr- a creative visionary that the we just do not we do not deserve really. But thank God that he's you know a selfless man. All so, right, I'm pretty sure I know what your answers are, but favorite Yuasa work and one that you would recommend to newcomers right away? Tatami Galaxy. For both? Tatami Galaxy for both. Ooh. But if you want something that's a little more on like the crazy side, Devil May Cry Baby. Jesus, you're, you're putting everyone on the deep end, huh? Yes. I think, look, I can easily recommend Ping Pong as well because I know you will, and I, I, I would too, but what I like about Yuasa's works is that it, it's, it's very e- extreme. I would say Ping Pong, the animation, is my favorite Yuasa work, but I would recommend you watch Keep Your Hands Off Isaacin. Oh, yeah. I would like I would like you to watch a bunch of their uh Yuasa's movies as well. But I think Your Hands Off Isaacin is mainstream enough, but also captures Yuasa's style very well. It's probably the most lighthearted one as well. It, it it's very lighthearted. And it's cool. It's, it's just, cute. It's, it's nice. cute. And the, you're never going to get that jingle from the fucking opening out of your head for months after watching it. It's it's such a good opening. 
All right. Oh, and also, I yep. guess if you have your hands on that short, watch it too. But your 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 enjoyment of the movie would be amplified if you already watched Tommy Galaxy. All right, that is the end of our After Dark episode. Will, you're ready for me to do the... Clean this shit up, man. Okay, so you could always reach us through our email at G-A-P-A-L-E-T-T-E at gmail.com. That's G-A-P-A-L-E-T at gmail.com. You could reach us through Twitter at PalletGood, capital P, capital G, all one word, or through our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash PalletGood, capital P, capital G, all one word. You could visit our website, www.goodanimepalette.com, all one word, all lowercase. You can even join us on Discord. The Discord invite is in the show description or our Mal Club, which uh, the invite is also in the show description. Music credits. Our intro is Callie by Wataboy. Hey! Welcome back, Callie. Uh, our break music is Min 2019 by Minabu. Our outro music is What You Thinking, the instrumental version by Wataboy. You could find... All of our music, that is the intro, break, and outro music at pixabay.com, Will. I I love Yuasa. I don't think I'm ever going to get over his stuff. And I also love Young Choi, so I can't wait to see more Science Saru work. I can't wait to see more Yuasa work. So, Inuo, whenever you come out, I'm ready for you. I'm also ready to see what projects that Inyoung decides to produce. I mean, we talked that, about it. Yeah. I talked about it with you on our, on, on our break, but... There are definitely some figures, some people that I would know by name in the anime and manga industry. Miyazaki obviously being one of them, but that's almost every anyone can say that. Yeah. I when it comes to anime and manga, I actually get attached to the studios more than the actual staff behind it cuz usually that's what I affiliate with. Not saying that uh, voice actors or actresses don't count, or directors don't count like Yuasa. But Yuasa, I know by name. And you also know what you're going to expect. And that, like, you also aren't ready for, like, a, a color explosion of shock. Like, you you know you're going to get your senses blown out, but you're going to enjoy every second of it. So, I think Yuasa is an extremely important person in anime and manga. I adore a lot of his work. And he is definitely a national treasure, not only because I believe he is, he also is he according is. to the Japanese government. Yeah, he is a he is a literal like cultural landmark of Japan. But that's not to say that there aren't others that are also deserving of a status like that, right? So this is like going to be one of a, a couple more sort of character slash director analyses uh, throughout the After Dark series. So you know, on top of Yuasa, we certainly hope there's going to be more people we can feature. Yeah, so I think that is it. Will, any any last parting thoughts before we head out? I, uh, mm, should we try and finish off my game? <laughs> Fuck no. No, okay, fine. This is, yeah, there's, 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 yeah, you can, you don't ever go full Yuasa. It's, just, it, it's, leave that to Yuasa himself. And just get an Ung Young Choi to, to, to get you off the monkey bars. Exactly. All right. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, hope to catch you in the next After Dark or, you know, tune back into our regular episode. We should be having another one come out next week. All right. Peace out, guys. Peace. <laughs>